Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park as the curtain comes down on Marco Silva's first season in charge as Everton manager. We will reflect on the final game of the season, a 2-2 draw with Spurs. But then we'll open up the discussion to wider reflections on the season as a whole. 42 games, too many, too few in, in many respects, only four cup matches. 38 league games, plenty of ups and downs, highs and lows, and we'll get the panel to give us their thoughts. Um, But we will start with Sunday and the draw at Spurs at the mightily impressive Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Adam. Um, A fair result. Could we have come away with all three after a stirring second half performance? Yeah, I think after the balance of the game, Everton will be a little bit disappointed that they didn't come away with all three points, I think. Obviously, Spurs started the better team, took the lead really early on, and uh, it was a bit ropey in those first 15, 20 minutes. Uh, Yeni Mina in particular looked quite rusty. It uh, just didn't seem to be clicking together at all, like uh, with Everton trying to transition from defence into attack. And, you know, Spurs could have really scored a couple more in those opening stages if they'd have, you know, gone for it a little bit more. Obviously, you can probably see why they haven't really gone for it as much as uh, we might have expected after their exploit in midweek. Uh, but after that, I thought Everton really stepped it up and took it on just a little bit more. Even in that, towards the end of the first half, Everton started attacking a little bit more. There was a really weird moment where Cenk Tosin completely missed a volley and uh, his attempted shot ended up going behind him. Uh, he could have done a lot better there. You know, Theo Walcott has a uh, couple of opportunities as well. But in the second half, Everton just it, it started to feel a bit more like the Everton we've been watching over the last couple of weeks. I think the uh, introduction of Adam Ola-Luchman was mm. pretty key into that. Uh, obviously, he played a really big role in the opening goal. And then, uh, you know, it was a bit of a weird second goal. But, yeah, the only disappointing thing at the end there was how easy it was for Spurs to concede. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't a good free kick from Ericsson, but it's just another needless free kick that we've given away on the edge of the box. And we gave a few away like that yesterday. So, yeah, it is a bit disappointing to not come away with three points. But... Yeah, I think probably fair just about that it's only a point. Um, later in the week, we will get on to transfers and, and, and the summer generally. Um, but Preno, uh, uh, I'll ask you this because Adam's written about this already. Um, Michael Silver forced into um, a rejig of his team yesterday, uh, had no shame as Coleman. But he played Kurt Zuma at right back instead of John Joe Kenny, who's on the bench. Um, were you surprised by that omission for young John Joe? Yeah, I was, but equally, I can understand the desire to try and keep Kurt Zuma involved. And, you know, obviously, he wanted to play Yerry Mina, so he, you know, he changed the system. Um, I think it was more designed, though, to just incorporate Kurt Zuma and keep him part of things, you know, so rather than a, an opportunity to see how he fares, you know, in a different position. It was harsh on John Joe. Uh, I think he would have expected to have been involved with Seamus Coleman not playing. Uh, but entirely that, I think you've got to try and 
lay the welcome mat out, try and do as much as you can, you know, sort of try and make Kurt Zuma feel part of things. And obviously that's the only top part of it then because you've got to try and convince Chelsea to sell the guy. Um, but I think that's all it was. But John Joe certainly will feel a little bit disappointed not to be involved. I think it would have been an ideal, you know, it's a one for him to play him. And I don't think Marco will have learned a great deal about the players that, you know, he was forced to bring in largely because they were so rusty. You know, so Yerry Mina, is that really the Yerry Mina that we'd expect to see after four or five games under his belt? Probably not. Cheng Tosin, likewise. Okay, it wasn't you know, the greatest performance from him, but equally you probably see a bit more if he was you know, a bit more rhythm in his game, a little bit sharper. So it wasn't really an afternoon for learning things. I think it was just one of those inconsequential end-of-season games. So inconsequential. I was talking to Adam earlier. I couldn't get my head around the fact that last season, Everton took four points off the uh, top six teams. This season, we've taken 12 points. Massive improvements. And I counted the 11, the three wins at home, you know, against Arsenal, United, Chelsea, the draw at Chelsea, draw at Liverpool. Sorry, draw against Liverpool. Where's the 12th point, Adam? Where's the 12th point? Yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, right, yeah. So it was that kind of, you know, sort of inconsequential game. So not a great deal that Marcus Silva will have learned, and certainly not from Kurt Zuma playing in that that weird position. But if it's so inconsequential, why wouldn't you play Kenny? Like, why wouldn't you just play a five at the back and play Kenny? Because you want to keep Kurt Zuma involved. Yeah, well, play five at the back. Or just don't play Yeri Mina. Yeah, well, well, again, trying to keep players assimilated, make them feel part of things. It, it's a difficult balancing act. Does it mean that he doesn't really see you know much of a long-term future for John Joe Kenny at the club? I don't know. You know, so I hope that's not the case. But you know, maybe that's part of it. Sam, before we uh, move on to general matters, and I know we we said we're, we're not speaking specifically about transfers today, but you were back here, man in the live blog and stuff, and, and watching from afar. What was the reaction did you notice on social media from fans who were at the game when Kurt Zuma and Andre Gomez went over to the away fans at the end? Did you sense, was the feeling they've given us good vibes here that they're going to stay? Or, oh no, Kurt Zuma was waving goodbye, this is bad. What was what was the feeling on, online, if you like? I think it's been quite a roller coaster journey with both of them. I think midway through the season, it kind of felt like they'd both sign. And then I think towards the last couple of weeks, it's felt more like... It was a bit of a, a wave goodbye at the end, and uh, especially, you know, Chelsea's transfer ban doesn't do us any favours, and you know, kind of reports this week suggesting that Gomez is wanted el- elsewhere as well. So, I think probably, uh, you know, didn't see a, a kind of wide range of, of reactions, but definitely for me at the moment, it kind of feels like, yeah, you know, we it will be the last we've seen of them. So, a nice positive input there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's just flattened my mood. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that is just just a hunch, do you think? And, and, and what, why do you think we we wouldn't be in, in, you know, in, in with a fighting chance of getting either? I just think now that with this Chelsea transfer, but it's had a few appeals, hasn't it? And they haven't been able to kind of win them. Obviously, we will have to see what happens there. But really, the way Zoom has played this season... Are any of Chelsea's defenders better than Zuma? Or you know, well, it's not Zuma what we be. think about that. It's what Sadi thinks. Well, that, that's what I mean. I'd argue. That, I'd argue at the start of the season, Zuma was better than them anyway, well, and he yeah, still so, he still was allowed to go on loan. But depending on what what they want to do there, and then how much Zuma's going to cost, and then yeah, there's just been something about these kind of Gomez reports this week that have kind of made me think that we won't we won't get him. Mm. Okay. Um, so moving on from from Sunday and and what happened on and off the pitch, um, Michael Silva's first season in charge, eighth placed finish, fifty four points on the board. Adam, the target which he kept 
to himself for long periods clearly was to do better than last season. So doing better than last season, of course, would have been finishing seventh and therefore potentially uh, the back door into Europe. Has the season therefore been a failure or has it because we've got more points, more goals, playing better football, conceded fewer, got mm. more wins, etc. Still a success? I think it's what you constitute as better, really. In terms of league position, obviously it's not better. Uh, I wouldn't still class this season as a success. I can only consider this season a disappointment because of you know what happened in those December, January, February months like Everton. You know, when you look at how they bookended that bad run of form, you know, Everton really should have picked up so many more points over that festive period in particular. Like, it it does, and, you know, we've got two early cup exits as well. Uh, it, it can only go down as a bit of a disappointment for me, but I still think from looking at the way Everton's squad was set up from the start of the season and looking at it now, I think Everton have vastly improved, you know, the... Over the last few weeks, we've seen Everton's style of football just be, you know, blow some of the best teams in the country away, especially at Goodison Park. Uh, you know, I was just saying before, we're disappointed that we haven't come away from Spurs with all three points who were in the Champions League final at the start of June. You know, at the start of the season, last season, we couldn't have imagined Everton even setting up to go to these type of teams and go for the win, let alone be able to pull off this kind of performance. And, you know, we are disappointed that we haven't ended up to beat Spurs. And uh, I think that represents a massive improvement for me, regardless of league position. I think next season you'll be looking at, you know, yeah, you really need to be pushing up into the league, you know, hopefully challenging the top six. You know, you've got to look at where Man United are at the minute, you know, especially with getting beat by Cardiff on the last game of the season, you know. They're going to need a big summer. Everton are going to have a big summer. We're actually ahead of them in their project. Can we not target them? If Chelsea have got a transfer ban, can we not target them? Now, I think at that point, you've got to be looking at that. Hopefully, in a good cup run behind us. But yeah, I'd say this season's still been disappointing, but it's an improvement, definitely. I think definitely what Adam's saying there as well in that, you know, when you look back over the season and you think... Uh, Huddersfield at home, Newcastle at home, Watford at home. You know the last-minute goal in the derby at Anfield. So many, you know, more games now. You know, Wolves at home, another one that kind of stands out. All these games where if we'd have just maybe gone one better on the result on two of those games, we'd have we'd have easily finished seventh. Well, we would have done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. West Ham at home. It's just there's yeah. so, too many home performances. Yeah, exactly. Mentioned there, and it's all around about that period of time. You know, the, the winter of discontent, if you like. And, you know, from February, from the FA Cup exit onwards, yeah. you know, things have been markedly better. Uh, but it's got to be consistent over the course of a season. You'll be helped in that, you know, um, not having Europa League football next season. Big disappointment not being in Europe, but equally it helps him prepare better for the season, prepare better for games, you know, sort of match to match. Uh, and they've just got to show more consistency next season throughout the campaign and not have that mid-season dip again. Marco said afterwards, Preno, uh, I think you can read it online now, that he said he's in no doubt that the players are operating at a different level to when he first walked through the door um, last summer. When we're looking at the season as a whole and reviewing it, do we have to be very mindful of the mess he inherited? Yeah, that's a fair comment. Um, you know, he has initiated an entirely new philosophy. Um, 
it's funny enough, we're just all, all of us putting together, you know, reflective pieces looking back on the season. Uh, and I dug out those quotes that, you know, Jurgen Klopp uh, came out with after the Anfield derby when he was gushing about Everton's performance and the job Marco Silva had done. Now, clearly, he was doing that because he was trying to get off an FA charge for celebrating wildly <laughs> on the pitch like a lunatic, you know, so in time added on. But, but equally, I think there was a degree of sincerity in it. Uh, he actually said... Derby matches are always difficult, but this was a different difficult to last season. And by different difficult, he just meant how progressive Everton were. And if you think about it, you know, they, they had chances, they could have won the game, they were taking the match to Liverpool. It wasn't similar to how we got the point at Anfield the previous season by shutting up shop and just getting the late penalty, you know, sort of grinding it out. This was very different. Di- uh, different. And Everton have initiated that really well in patches of the season. They just haven't done it consistently throughout. So, yeah, you have to take in, into account, you know, so him trying to put this complete, you know, sort of mindset change into the players' heads and getting this completely new pattern. And it's, it's throughout the club as well. Marcel Brands has talked about he wants the under-23s to play this way. He wants the under-18s, you know, so all the way down, you know, so to the kids. So it is a massive upheaval and a massive change. So you have to bear that in mind. Uh, but, you know, th- there are signs, certainly. And the good thing for me is that we've ended the season on a high that things seem to have got a bit of momentum. And it's a bit of a shame the season's had to end when it has. But equally, that momentum needs to be continued now through the summer, start the season well, and then just keep it going. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Tuesday morning, you'll be able to read... Uh our writers' picks for performance of the season, player of the season, um, a whole manner of topics as we just uh, reflect on, on the first 12 months. But generally, um, Chaps, what do you think has been Marco's biggest success, first of all, this season? And that could be anything from a player, improvements a player has made, a signing, <coughs> a performance. What do you think, what do you think is, the, is, the, is the big thing uh, for Marco uh, to sort of hang on to? I, th- I think if I can jump in here and say, it's, it's, whether Marco's responsible for this or not, I don't know. But the mood around Goodison is so siren. massively different. And the siren definitely has to play some part in that. Um, but no, there's just there's a mood of optimism and enthusiasm. And the fans are actually back on board again. You know, there was a, a spell towards the end of last season when Goodison wasn't a good place to go. We weren't enjoying watching the matches. The fans were turning up for a sense of duty rather than a sense of expectation and anticipation. And that's changed now. Now that could be down to the players that have been brought in. It could be down to the attitude the team is showing. You know, a different style of football entirely. That certainly is down to Marco Silva. Or it could be just something simple down to, like you say, a siren and the flags that are being made, you know, so creating a better atmosphere. But personally, I think it is a change of of mindset, a change of attitude. Everton are playing football now, which is worth watching, which is easy on the eye. I mean, all, you know, those stats, I think... Bradley Cates, our old mate uh, from EFC mm. Stata, put together this great chart uh, which oh, shows you great, yeah. 33 different categories uh, com- comparing last season to this season. And in 32 of the 33, Everton are performing better. The only one they're not is in drawn matches. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's great shots on targets, shots against the top six, you know, possession in the final third, everything. Everton are playing better football. Uh, and that's down to Marco Silva. So, yeah, I, I think he deserves credit for that. Go on then, Sam. Who's been the best signing of the... Marco Marcel Axis, if you like, who's who's the player that above all of the the six senior signings we made is the one that you go, yeah, he's he is the biggest success story in terms of recruitment, and he's the the sort of the standard bearer and the um, he set the standard for of all the future signings to, to, to be judged on. 
it's difficult because oh, Lucas Dean is is the obvious choice, and I think you know that that kind of regeneration of the of the left hand side, you know, that people spoke about has just been done so seamlessly, hasn't it, by bringing in Lucas Dean, and you know he's very similar to Leighton Baines in his technique and the fact that he takes free kicks to you know can can score goals from outside the penalty area, and just been the, the the perfect replacement for Leighton Baines, and probably the only player who could have kept him on the bench almost as effortlessly, effortlessly as he has done. But I think for me, the one that definitely stands out is is Richarlison because, you know, even when we did sign him and you kind of seen the reports and, you know, £40 million for someone who hadn't scored a goal in the second half of the Premier League season, a young lad, he didn't speak the language and, you know, Silver and Brands both put a lot of faith, faith in Richarlison and, you know, your first signing is quite often your, your statement signing, isn't it? And I think with Richarlison, they've definitely made one because now, you know, kind of casting aside that kind of uh, shadow that was over the club in the Cumin and Walsh transfer window, which we we signed a lot of players who, you know, don't have any sell-on value, who've came and not built on kind of the potential they may have had elsewhere or kind of built on the price tag that we set. But Richarlison definitely now, you know, he's worth double the price and he's got double treble the potential I think anyone thought he had when he first arrived here, you know almost 15 goals in his first season, playing in a variety of positions. You know, he took the kind of brunt, didn't he, when we weren't playing that well and we were kind of moving them round and he was a bit of a workhorse up front, a thankless task when a team's not playing well and he'd done it all without with minimum fuss, really. You know, took a, took a few bruisings and a few batterings in the process and as he's shown after the Man United game, he, he put his body on the line as well. So I think Dean and Richarlison, two massive standout signings and, you know, I think again now, I was kind of talking about it this morning, but you know you've almost kind of got to do it piece by piece. And Gomez and Zuma complicates things because they'd be two, they have been two very important pieces for us. But you know Dean's fitting well, Richarlison's fitting well, and so is Bernard. Now can they add another two or three little pieces to the jigsaw this summer and hopefully build build on it and, and and not be too too radical? Because you know if you if you get another two players of of similar ilk to what they've done, to what Zuma done, to what Gomez and, and Bernard have done, then you know, you're, you're a team to be reckoned with. I, I think Bernard flies under the radar a little bit when people are talking about Everton's best signings. Because mm. at the end of the day, like, you know, we've spent massive money on Richarlison and, you know, we've been proven quite rightly so to do that. Bernard was free. <laughs> Bernard was free. Anyone could have had him. And Everton were the ones who shown faith in him. Uh, Marco Silva and Marcel Brands obviously scouted him quite heavily over, the, over his time at Shakhtar. You know, he had an injury hit season last season. We knew that it was going to be a tough job to get him back to full fitness, never mind getting him ready for the Premier League. But I think over the last few months, we've absolutely been reaping the benefits of that. I'd argue over the last few months, probably Idris Agai has been our best player, but I'd say Bernard's been pushing him all the way because I think he's just been, he's been unplayable some games. Like that Manchester United game, couldn't get near him. Like He was finding so many pockets of space. You know, he's not necessarily the quickest mm. player, but he just seemed to burst away from all of those Man United players. His vision of finding those little intricate passes in and around the box is just incredible. And, you know, next season, if he can start adding a few goals to his game, you know, he could be a real force to be reckoned with. It's the and key, isn't it? Goals well, and assists for him, though. Exactly. But I just think to myself, though, if, if say, somebody came in for him in the summer, he'd be worth at least, like, 20 mil now, wouldn't he? Like, that's a that's an amazing amount of profit on a free player that Everton got last season. So I think, 
you know that that I think he does fly under the radar a little bit, and he probably shouldn't. It's a big season for for I think Bernard and and Yeri Mina next season, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know, Mina's had his obvious struggles, and yes, they probably didn't help him too much with the with the goal we conceded. But I think you know you definitely want to see a more consistent Mina, and you know as Adam's saying, then you want to see a Bernard who's just a little bit more of a a goal threat and maybe more of a consistent threat for a whole ninety minutes as well, isn't it? Because you know if he if he can do what he's been doing the last third of the season across a full campaign in 90 minutes then. Well, I think that's down to fitness really though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I think over the last couple of months he has been doing it for 90-minute spells. Yeah. I think the thing that's impressed me most is how physical he is, mm. like, especially for his stature. Like, I think that's what people were worried about with him coming to the Premier League. And there's obviously the stigma that comes with Brazilian players that you know they're all about the flair and they don't put the effort in. But Bernard just flies in the face of that and he absolutely does. Okay, friend. On the other side of things, is Marco still at Finch Farm this week? Sits in his office and plans for next season, but reflects on this. What What do you think he would go? You know what? I should have done that better. I could have done that better, or I wish I'd done that differently. Captain Charlison off penalties in the penalty shoes house. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think because it's it's been a season of progression, um, and you can't say there's been any you know so sort of obvious howlers. You know, so sort of team selections. Been mixed. He's mixed it up a few times. Uh, flirted with three on the back on one or two occasions, but nothing's actually stood out and said that now, now you know. So you didn't get that right. Um, it, it's been quite pleasing to watch. It's been quite positive. The, the transfer strategy has been a massive improvement on the previous uh, summers. That's all been very, very positive. Uh, it's all like lots of ticks and you know, lots of you know, so sort of B pluses, you know, so sort of all the way through everything he's done this season. Uh, I can't say there's anything that he would have done differently. Even Millwall, because uh, that's the big blight on, on the season mm. for me, going out of the FA Cup in, in the fashion that we did. And, you know, we all railed about zonal marking afterwards and, you know, so how appalling Everton are unable to defend free kicks. And he dissected it really, really well afterwards, uh, quite candidly. He basically asked us, OK, what went wrong? And, you know, so we'll, you know, from the first one, uh, I forget who... We identified, he says, who failed to pick up, you know, the big tall guy at the uh, the back post from the original one. And it was Yeri Mina. And he goes, yeah, that's why we put him there, because it was him to actually basically mark that guy, because we knew that's the area of the pitch that he would attack. Uh, He never won that challenge. And I tried to, like, point a finger at uh, the goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford, coming off the line too soon. And he goes, no, no, that wasn't his fault. It was somebody else not winning the second ball. And they knew, you know, they prepared properly for that. And it was just individuals. Uh, basically letting the side down and not winning their personal battles when it mattered most. So you can't really point the finger at the manager for a failure to prepare. You know, he prepared the team in the right right manner and players had just let him down. Uh, those issues seem to have been ironed out, whether the players started behaving more consistently, started listening, you know, sort of what they were being told on the training ground, I don't know. Um, but everything, you know, seems to have been improved, you know, sort of the results of that. But that's the big disappointment for me, just the FA Cup. They're the only things you can say we got wrong as a club rather than he got wrong mm. as a manager because, you know, the opportunity to get, you know, to the later stage of the competition was huge, you know, so to be in Millwall's position, you know, and mm. this is Millwall we're talking about, you know, an ordinary, well, a struggling championship side. So that that's a blow, but I can't really point the finger at the manager and blame him for that. I think it was just the players on the day didn't perform. What think- about what about the League Cup, lads? Mm-hmm. Because Marco will still argue the toss with me until he's blue in the face that he didn't pick a change team, that he picked first team <laughs> players... And look, he, 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 you know, I've had this discussion on a couple of occasions with him about it, and he said, no, I picked players who have been in two weeks ago in the first team, you know, except, you know, he doesn't accept that it was a changed team. But to, I think to, to a lot of people, he picked a weakened team. 
do you think come League Cup second round fixtures in August, he'll play the strongest possible team this time, Sam? Do you think that's one of the things he might reflect on and go, I can't afford to be messing with the team because I know now how much profit. I knew, you know, he would say, I knew, but he really knows now, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think the the backlash he got for, for that was probably, you know, I think Evertonians were quite understanding, weren't they? You know, after the derby, uh, Jordan, that run, I think maybe Millwall one kind of swung opinion for the first time, maybe towards people saying, you know, is this just not working out? But the, the Southampton one definitely did because we'd had a pretty decent start to the season as well. And and then, you know, and again, I, I do still remember that that team was still good enough to beat Southampton. And, uh, you know, a Southampton team that struggled, a Southampton team that was struggling uh, under Mark Hughes. And, you know, again, the players just didn't perform. But, you know, Everton aren't always going to get chances to be in cup finals every, every single season. You know, the competition's so fierce every year now for the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Premier League, you know, Europa League if you qualify for that as well. So, you know, I think I think come this year we should definitely uh, have a good bash at the at the League Cup and hopefully Marco does name a strong team. But then it comes with having squad depth as well. You know, you probably see also sees as a chance to give some players a break and you know, depending on who we get in this summer, hopefully we can we can field a a, a really strong team and, and have a go at that competition. Yeah, I think that's the issue. I, I think Silver will still look at the League Cup as a chance to blood players who wouldn't usually get the amount of minutes in the Premier League. So I, I don't think his opinion's going to be changed all that much by the backlash that he got this season. And I think we can probably use Zonal Mark and going back to what Prano said as probably the example of that. You know, there was a good few weeks there where every single game it was just Zonal Mark and Zonal Mark. And like it got to the point where he was like, I don't want to talk about Zonal Mark anymore. And now obviously he's turned it round and now he's saying, well, I didn't change Zonal Mark. And now the f- players have finally got onto it. So perhaps he'll say next season, you know, with a, a good summer behind Everton, we'll have be- obviously better players playing in that League Cup game, regardless of whether in the, they're in the first team or not. He'll say, right, well, I just need better players. And then we we would have got through that League Cup game. But in, in obviously, Fahad Bashiri doesn't work in seasons necessarily, but in terms of the fact that in the depths of that winter of discontent, as you say, he let it be known. I think he was he was quoted as saying, "You know, you have to hold your nerve." So, do you think that that's another sign of Farhad Mashiri's attitude changing, and and the fact that he did he was as good as his word, and he and he didn't he didn't decide to hit the panic button during that difficult period, and, and he's, he's stuck with his man. Yeah, hundred percent. I think he's learning. You know, so as a club owner now, in he's. He's admitted privately that he he lost his nerve basically uh, when he appointed Sam Allardyce. You know he saw his Premier League project sliding, and he he, he was terrified of the prospect of relegation unnecessarily. So I thought, but you know things were getting you know a bit twitchy. You know so the performances were very very poor. Anyway, he he panicked and made the decision, which was deeply unpopular. Um, it was never quite the same problem this time round, you know, because the start of the season had been so decent that there was never a problem of being a relegation battle. But equally, you know, so things were sliding a little bit. He showed his nerve in that respect, certainly. I mean, he was never going to sack Marco Silva, despite what was going on there. But I think what's also an indication of uh, his change in mindset is the way he's held his nerve as regards the transfer strategy January, of the football yes, club. Yeah, yeah. He was adamant the club weren't going to spend big in January uh, because the players that they wanted weren't available because they had a 
project because they had you know a strategy and a plan, uh, and he, he stuck to it. And you, you suspect that you know the temptation may have been there. I can't think of any major players that were available in January that would have changed Everton's season. But equally, you know, so the, the you know the temptation must have been there just to bring in you know so one player, two players maybe. But he didn't. He stuck to his guns. So you know he's evolving all the time as well. And you know for the better. You know I think he's. Uh, He's learning as he goes along. And, you know, I think we'll have players already identified for this summer, uh, already, Absolutely. you know, so, you know, so targeted. And I think, you know, they'll be sticking with that. If they can't get them, I don't think they'll be panicking. And, you know, so bringing in players from elsewhere. So it's, it's healthy, uh, not necessarily the most exciting, you know, so transfer windows as a result. But I think it augurs well for the club's long term developments. Um, again, as I mentioned, uh, you can read our writers' picks for performance of the season, player of the season. Well, Luca Dean, obviously, um, <laughs> in the morning. But on one on the list, and I'm going to ask the lads to give us um, what they've written and what they think now, because I think this is an interesting one. For better or for worse, uh, Adam, start with you. What's been your surprise of the season? Uh, Michael Keane. Michael Keane was my surprise of the season because I have to say, going into going into the start of this season, I was thinking this is this is really big for him now. New start under a new manager. Like he really needs to grab this opportunity with both hands because. You know, I think he'll be the first to say that last season just wasn't him. Like he'd, like he'd like to forget that as much as we we'd like to forget it as fans as well. Uh, he just wasn't the player that Everton paid Burnley big money for, and you know, obviously he had his injury problems, which he's you know del- delved into uh, Do you think he was since burdened, then. Burdened by being the most expensive defender in the club's history at that point. Uh, Do you ever sense when you've spoken to him that that, that was something that? may have added to the difficulties? I, th- I think it's always going to have an effect on a player. Uh, and I think when things started going badly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it started creeping into his mind a little bit more. But I think the main thing for me was that he walked into uh, uh, Ronald Koeman and Steve Walsh's amalgamation of a squad. Mm. He didn't. He didn't really know how he was setting up that team. So God knows how the players must have thought when they were on the pitch. And, you know, with Michael Keane coming from Burnley, which was so rigid under Sean Dyche, you yeah. know, this will have been a whole new world to him, you know, a, a, such a massively different club to Burnley as well. You know, the pressure's on you so much more at Everton. He's playing in European competition alongside that. You know, it wouldn't have been easy for him, and I thought that he might have struggled a little bit more this season, uh, you know, especially with you know all the talk about Marco Silva's previous defensive record in the Premier League before he came to Everton. I thought with the way Marco Silva likes to play, he likes to bring the ball out from the back. How is Michael Keane going to fit into this? But, you know, I think he's completely proven everyone wrong who doubted him in the summer. I think he's stood up to be countered. He's been absolutely imposing in some of these games this season, especially over the last few weeks. You know, we've seen him dominate the aerial battle. He reads the game so well. Uh, You know, that one tackle on Mohamed Salah might have cost Liverpool the league at the end of the day. It did. <laughs> so, you know, how could how could he not have had a good season off the back of that? And I think, yeah, he's he's completely blown me away by how good he's been in comparison to last season especially. Mm. So, yeah, surprise of the season. Yeah, I certainly sensed a refreshed player when I sat down with him uh, in July in Austria. Preno, same question to you, for better or for worse, your surprise of the season? I suppose the obvious one you could throw in would be Andre Gomez, because I didn't know a great deal about him uh, before he came to Goodison, and I've been you know, blown away spectacularly. I love the guy, but I won't. You know, so I'll go for a slightly more left-field one. I just think Marco Silva's boldness, um, 
you know, we knew what he achieved at Hull. We knew what he achieved at Watford. You know, we saw the style of football. But the one game that really brought it home to me was at Anfield, a ground, you know, where we've had so fairly abysmal luck, you know, so over the last God knows how many years. And just his refusal to, you know, sort of bend from his principles, seeing two centre-backs literally on the goal line, taking possession from Jordan Pickford and trying to play through the lines throughout the game and doing so successfully against a side that, you know, was on course to get a record points total in the Premier League that was flying at the time. I just thought, wow, fair play to you. You know, so that's actually refusing to bend from your principles. And let's be frank, you know, he deserved more than he got from that game. You know, so if Yeri Meenan had got a header on target, if Andre Gomez had made a slightly less perfect connection with a diving header... If Jordan Pickford, let's not, let's not get there. <laughs> um, you know, so it would have been a much better result. But that was born of a refusal to yield from his principles. And I'm not suggesting that I thought, you know, he was a flaky manager that would panic at the first sight of a, a problem. Uh, but I was just, I was really refreshed to see that. Uh, so a surprise, a slight surprise maybe, but just, you know, his, his boldness uh, with, his, with his strategy, with his football. Um, slightly off at a tangent, just speaking about Marco, do you think some people, would be surprised that he's actually completed a full season at Everton because, because look, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that was something that oh, 100%. when you know, yeah. he, you know he's, he's had that record and he knows that, that people were sceptical that he would yeah. last a season, but you know, he, it's a tick in the box and a, and a you know, you know, two fingers maybe to people who thought he would be gone in six months. Yeah, definitely. That that, that would be a very cynical way to you know look at it. Say it was a surprise, but certainly by February, you know, so certainly the, the pundits and the, the naysayers and previous Everton managers were probably, you know, so tutting and saying, oh, I told you Whoever so. could you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name in this one. Uh, saying, oh, I told you so, you know, he's only, a, you know, so an impact manager, you know, a three or four month manager. And okay, a season isn't massively enduring, but, you know, he's got through a season and he's finished it on a high. Mm. So it certainly will have surprised some people. And, you know, so now the, uh, the trick is to surprise them even more and show that you can build on that. Sam, the floor's yours, mate, for surprise of the season. Preno and Adam have took two good ones, I think, haven't they? You've, you've got the best one, haven't you? The goodest from Cat. What a performance <laughs> that was against Wolves. Um, probably, the, probably the clean sheet record. I think it's probably gone okay. under the radar a little bit. There is it the fourth, fourth, yeah, fourth, fourth, yeah. fourth best behind City, Liverpool and Chelsea. Chelsea yeah. and I think it also speaks volumes about Jordan Pickford's character that since uh, there was Liverpool and then I think there was Tottenham as well. In December, January, when he had that little mix-up with Zuma and, you know, people were starting to question, you know, being England's number one, maybe gone to his head a little bit or the recognition he'd got from the World Cup. And I don't think you can really say that, aside from uh, 45 minutes at Newcastle, which, you know, the 10 other players on the pitch were guilty of as well. You know, he's, he's had a solid season. And like Adam said about Keane, you know, denied Liverpool the title with <laughs> that right palm <laughs> as Mohamed Salah ran through at, at the Gladys Street end. But, you know, again, now... Everton to sign him on a six-year contract at the start of this season. Again, probably one of the, the signs of the season from the form he's shown in the in the second half of the season. You know, it's I'm a, I'm a big fan of Pickford, but 14 clean sheets is is no mean feat. Do you know what I mean? Especially for a side that has probably been bang average overall mm. in terms of you know obviously as Prem said that winter of of discontent. So I think that's pleasing and, and definitely something we can now look to build on. You know, it's it's good to have a goalkeeper that you're looking at to be number one, you know, for the next decade. You know, it's good that you've got a left back who you're looking at, unless a team comes in for, you know, we won't need another left back for a while. Richarlison, you know, really starting to see the kind of a team come together here at Everton. And, you know, there's there's lots of questions still to be answered as well, but 
you know, as the three of us have just said there, from Keane to, to Sylvan and Pickford, there's been some real kind of pleasant surprises this season. I think, sorry, I think what's also quite, you know, it's quite heartwarming is that we can probably all sit around here now and probably name Marco Silva's first choice team, you know, so give or take one or two positions. We know what Everton's best team is if everybody is available. Uh, there's a, a system in place uh, and we know which players are performing best in that system. And that hasn't necessarily been the case, you know, so in previous regimes, you know, the, the team changed far too frequently than, than is good. I don't know what the actual stat is for unchanged teams this season, but there's probably been, you know, so a good few occasions when he said same again. And that's quite good. It just indicates that, you know, he knows what he wants, you know, he's got, you know, and well, exactly, yeah. And, yeah, and that players you know, are left in no uncertain terms then as well, you know, so that they know if they're performing, they're going to be playing. So that that's a positive. So we're making it sound like it's been a great season. <laughs> it hasn't. It's been okay. You know, it's been yeah. five points better off than the season mm-hmm. before. Uh, it needs to be a bigger improvement again. But there's a lot more ticks than the, the negatives. I would say. I think what you said before sums it up, doesn't it? I think this time last season, I was just so happy that the season was over and never yeah. wanted to see a game of footy involved and ever, never again. And yeah. Do you remember that West Ham game? Last yeah, game I do, season? sadly. Yeah. It was just an absolute <laughs> slog and I think, you know, no one was enjoying going to the match. I think, I remember what the City game in home last season when, uh, I think, yeah, about 80-odd percent possession. Yeah, and mm. I remember like, I was I was in here but they let me finish early so I could, so I could go and Go to the got, game. Aren't you glad? And I drove straight <laughs> to the ground. I couldn't wait. Thought it would be a boss atmosphere. And we were three 0 down at half time, and I just wanted to go home again. <laughs> so you know, I think that what's been refreshing this season, it's made uh, Everton fans believe a little bit again. You know, to beat the top six regularly in the second half of the season at Goodison Park. You know, I thought it was even a small boost yesterday to go to Tottenham. You know, I think our troubles away from home against the top six have been well documented enough. But you know, again, a, a good performance despite Spurs probably not having 100% of the focus on, on that game. So it's not it's not end on a on a sour note again was good. And, you know, he's made Everton fans, I think, just fall in love with football and, and watching Everton again a little bit. And, you know, some more positive moves in the transfer market. And Goodison's going to be a, the place to be come August. <laughs> Very uh, good stuff. So uh, that wraps up uh, the first of t- uh, this week's two podcasts as we reflected on... Michael Silver's first season in charge later in this week. We will be talking transfers as the transfer window opens and look ahead to what Everton may or may not do. Uh, So you've been listening to the Royal Boom Podcast and please you can subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and the Acast app and all comments very much welcome. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.